0: You're listening to Frame 25, a monthly micro edition of the Brightwall Darkroom podcast in conversation with and sponsored by our friends at Gallery. Every month, we pick a title from Gallery's curated library and zoom in on a moment to better see the whole. I'm
1: Veronica Fitzpatrick. And I'm Chad Berman.
0: And today. We're discussing 1951's A Place in the Sun, directed by George Stevens and starring Montgomery Clift, Elizabeth Taylor, Raymond Burr, and our girl from last month, Shelly Winters. Shelly Winters, yeah, round two. Shelly
1: Podcast is the new name.
0: <laughs> yeah, frame 25: <25, laughs> the Shelly Winters files.
1: <laughs> she gets in some bad relationships.
0: Oh my gosh, she does. Yeah, I didn't even think about that beyond the connection of yeah. just her casting.
1: Yeah, she likes those murderers.
0: Yeah, oh jeez. Oh jeez. Okay, well this is uh, in concert yet again with Jude Johnson's picks. Got a good list. <laughs> yeah, it's a great list. We'll link to his video talking about his relationship to the film in the show notes. But, well, just a couple of the things that he says to give a preview. One, that it's a movie that really reminds him of the flush of feeling of initially falling in love for the mm-hmm. first time, um, which is interesting because it's not necessarily
1: what I think of when I think <laughs> about this film.
0: And then he ends up with this thing that I wondered if you knew about, Chad, which is Mike, the Mike Nichols anecdote.
1: The Mike Nichols anecdote for A Place in the Sun? Yeah. I don't. Huh?
0: Yeah. He ends his video with this anecdote about Mike Nichols allegedly watching this movie before he made every movie Interesting. because it's just a perfect film. And so this is kind of the template.
1: Yeah. I just really quickly Googled and it says technically maybe I learned most of all from George Stevens and among his movies, I learned the most from A Place in the Sun. Wow. Yeah. So that's a uh, pretty high praise. I wouldn't have guessed that. This doesn't ring Mike Nicholsy to me in any way. but No, me neither.
0: Me neither. When was the last time you saw the film?
1: The first and last time was in the last oh, 24 hours.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I,
1: when you <laughs> proposed it, I it's one of those movie mix-ups in my head where I've thought it was, I don't even remember what it was. Duel, Duel in the Sun? Duel in the Sun, yeah. I was <laughs> yes. like, oh, I'm gonna, yes. we're going to talk about all this amazing cinematography and all this Scorsese and all this other stuff. And then like, uh, I was yeah. like, I have no... No baggage or experience or any rewatch stuff to bring to it. It was a it was an initial watch and it was great. Not what I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, I guess when it said based on the book an American tragedy, I was like, Oh, okay, so this is not gonna go well. Smart. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought it was weird that they had a Mrs. Robinson in it, but Oh funny. You know. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's always <laughs> always good when someone says funny instead of yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, so A Place in the Sun, it's adapted from Theodore Dreiser's 1925 novel, which is an American tragedy, which is itself based on the real-life murder case of yes, Grace Brown too. by mm. Chester Gillette in 1906.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's like a whole other pod series.
0: I know, I know, we're <laughs> getting into like true My crime. murder, yeah. So it's so funny that I, I, not so funny, but I'd never heard of this crime before, but the proliferation of fictionalizations is mm-hmm. kind of intense because <laughs> Dreiser's novel then spawned a 1926 play adaptation. And then there was an earlier film adaptation shot by Josef von Sternberg in 1931.
1: I did not see that. Yeah, so it's kind of
0: like the Ed Gain of like, (laughs) like, I don't know, like murdering your pregnant girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Not funny, not funny. Such a romantic I don't know why I'm laughing about that. Okay, I'll give a little plot synopsis. So, in Stevens's film set in 1950, George Eastman, played by Monty Clift, arrives on the factory doorstep of industrialist uncle Charles Eastman, who gives his nephew an entry level job in his swimsuit production house. He's basically stuffing boxes. Eastman starts covertly dating coworker Alice Tripp, played by Winters despite prohibitive company policy against such liaisons. And he moves up the ladder and he ends up falling for socialite Angela Vickers, played by a then 19-year-old Liz Taylor. And of the three, only Angela survives this upward mobility love triangle. Yes. Crazy. Chad, let me just get some of your, like, off-dome first impressions of the film.
1: I mean, you know, I I love Montgomery Clift. I just love him, everything about him and uh, his presence on the screen. The eventual tragedies of his life are always Mm. retroactively built back into his performances for me. And, you know, Elizabeth Taylor, I mean, too, you said she was 19. I thought I'd read she was 17, but I guess 19 would would work a little bit more. What's the movie she wasn't good in would be my question, Mm. you know? I don't think she had a whole lot to do here other than have big big googly eyes and and profess love over and over. Mm. You know, and then Shelley Winters, I just always wonder what was going through her head and this is probably not the point of any of any of the film, but did she ever get to just play the beautiful like star that everyone was attracted to instead of like the, yeah. the frumpy and or scared person who's never happy?
0: Oh my God, yeah. I My understanding is that this is totally like against type for Winters oh, and okay. that she was actually someone that Stevens didn't want to cast because she was so bubbly and sexy, but she arrived to the meeting with him him um, no makeup on ah. and kind of wearing I'm secretly pregnant type <laughs> sized clothing. And he was like, okay, I see it. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Reverse makeover. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and, and uh, you know, and in general, I don't know if I'm a huge George Stevens fan, but I like a lot of his movies. And uh, the, the only other one I still haven't seen is really embarrassing. I just read that Chris says he's seen it like 300 times. Uh, I have not seen Giant yet. Oh. But the other ones that I've seen of his, I do tend to like. Again, not what I was expecting because I thought it was just kind of a love story. I didn't know there was going to be a murder angle mm-hmm. in the whole thing. I can see both why some people don't respond to it today and also why people that respond to it really respond to it. I really respond to it. I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I like the big scores and the melodrama mm-hmm. and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And just, again, just keep coming back to the eyes, which I think might have a, uh, a prominent role in the moment that you picked.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The moment that I picked, and t- typically I try to pick something when it's my turn, that's like a little bit more of a minor moment in the film. Yeah, you go
1: r- much smaller than me, which I'm always impressed with. Well,
0: <laughs> I mean, like it's fun. As I know. A game to kind ever of try to I've figure known, yeah. out what's yeah. like the most minor detail that has a lot to say. But yeah. in this case, it's it's one of those sort of louder beats of the film, but I think really representative of the sort of weirdly expressionistic cinematography and kind of blocking choices that we get throughout. So this is the moment when Angela and George finally tell each other that they love each other. Okay. The scene kind of opens with a series of dissolves,
1: weird. Lots of dissolves in this movie, in general. You know, why? Because time
0: isn't passing, so it's kind of like (laughs) non-classical use Just to kind of like soften us into the scene. They have a kind of pause (laughs) on the dance floor Mm -hmm. amid all these other moving couples, which is a great classical Hollywood thing I love.
1: A little phantom thready, too.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that was totally happening to me when I was watching the film as I was getting reminded of a million other movies. Yes, exactly. George says to her, I've loved you since the moment, the first moment I saw you. And we got to see that moment. Like we see George Eastman. First, see Angela at the Eastman house Mm -hmm. and there too, there's this really terrific blocking where him seeing her becomes the kind of focal point of the scene, even though they don't actually speak to each other.
1: That's pretty early on. It is really early
0: on. Yeah, it's really early on in this kind of like very swift drop of information and kind of like context and premises that starts off the film. In this scene, Elizabeth Taylor says... She begins to say, I love you back. And then she kind of interrupts herself and says, Are they watching us? in this really (laughs) breathy, alarmed, but also performative way. Mm. And it's such a weird awareness of and also performance for the social surveillance of that milieu of an upper class people where everybody knows everybody and all the parties are attended by the same kind of population. I mean, honestly, the Are they watching us is the moment for me. What Mm. is a little bit more full-on, I think, in terms of the film's reception and its kind of legacy over time is at an extremely close set of shot reverse shots where they continue telling each other how they feel about each other. Mm-hmm. And the camera is kind of like swooningly close to the bodies so of Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then we see their eyes kind of flitting up and down. They're sort of drinking each other in. And he tells her that he can't even tell her how much he cares about her, you know, like that right. old commonplace. And she says, and I and this is a moment that I know was kind of new dialogue that came to them late in the game. And that initially she was like, come on, I don't know about this. Yeah. And then it just ends up being one of the most iconic moments of the movie. She says, tell mama. Oh,
1: I was hoping you'd bring that up. Tell mama all. (laughs) Because, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, this is either the craziest line I've ever heard or the best line. And I'm still not sure. Exactly. Because that's just not what I want to hear before I go in for the big kiss. Come on. (laughs) I like to bring up my mom in the podcast, but this is not going to be one of those times. Right, 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 right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Keep mom in the pod.
1: (laughs) Keep mom off of this. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There's that weird moment earlier where she kind of interrupts a phone call that george is having with his actual mama <laughs> and she's like <laughs>
1: oh yeah there is that it's
0: me mama or something like that yeah. uh like kind of background noise so it's not totally clear in this instance whether she's saying like actually tell your mother all about us or if she's oh
1: i thought she was referring to her as the i'm mother. mama yeah i thought i mean mama. i think the
0: ambiguity yeah. is is kind of you can read it both ways i'm
1: 19 year old mama yeah. Slash the one who's not about to become a mama.
0: I know. It's just like proto mom and dad, yeah. um, mommy discourse, <laughs> proto mommy discourse, George Stevens. But yeah, it's so weird. And I just think Elizabeth Taylor is so good at saying like the weirdest stuff. The I mean, weirdest. I know we talked about this at length with Cat on a hot tin yeah. roof and, you know, suddenly last summer, like she's just. I was going
1: to say, yeah, suddenly last summer she said some real weird stuff.
0: She is so weird, you know, or Virginia Nashville. Wolf. Yeah, it's yeah. all just, it's so great.
1: People gave her great lines to say.
0: She's great at saying them.
1: And she's great at saying them, yeah. Yeah, so it, can I ask what, yeah. given all the different moments in the film, why why you zeroed in on this one?
0: Yeah, I mean, filmically, there's a lot going on that really effectively demonstrates how to bring the audience directly into the moment Mm. with immediacy, even though at this point it's not about identification because we don't necessarily want this for George, right? He's already knocked up his girlfriend at the factory. He wants this, but we know he sort of doesn't, quote-unquote, deserve it, or he's not in a position to have it in any case. We don't really know Angela that well. I mean, she's ultimately revealed to have, like, more depth than she's accorded like earlier in the film when she's introduced. And she's basically just like a mannequin for Edith Head's Mm -hmm. Oscar winning costumes. But at this point, it's not really about us wanting people to get together, but it is about creating a kind of open-ended sensation of people getting together, which I think is what Duke Johnson is kind of getting at (laughs) in his discussion of the film. You know, I also am very moved by the friendship between Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor and... Yeah. Like his sexuality such that they were never going to consummate a relationship, but they clearly had like an intimacy in their friendship that was profound. And she saved his life after he got in um, a really life-threatening car accident. After this, they worked together a number of times. She would like threaten leaving projects so that he could still work, even though like he was uninsurable at that point. And yeah, they were just super close.
1: Because his face was like disfigured, right? Or
0: yeah, he yeah. was, um, I believe, also chronically ill, okay.
1: and God, just so she would know.
0: just put herself on the line for him yes. over and over. Which
1: was a thing she did her whole life, I mean, for yeah. ver- for various people, which is something I love about her. Yeah. She did not, she did not hold back love or support.
0: <laughs> no, and here we get to sort of see them falling in love with each other in real time, yeah. in like a real way beyond the diegesis of the film, and I think that's really beautiful.
1: Yeah, oh, very well put. The only last thing, and we the Mike Nichols thing, I was just looking at it, it's specifically the Dissolves that are the big influence on him. He said, though, I don't, but he said he used it for The Graduate and he said he's seen the movie. Well, the quote is, he's seen it 150 times, laughs, that movie is my Bible. And then the interviewer says, all those crazy Dissolves Stevens does in the film, it's amazing to think he got away with that in 1951. Mm -hmm. Nichols says, you bet your ass. (laughs) Every single one of those dissolves serves the story. Look out. Here's what's coming. That movie taught me how to make movies.
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: That's a, a cool thing that I have to, Yeah, just learned today. Yeah. I like doing stuff I feel more knowledgeable about, but I also like uh, doing stuff where I get to learn a lot. So that was one of totally. these. So thank you for picking it.
0: Oh, my God. My pleasure. Shout out editor extraordinaire William yeah. Hornbeck for <laughs> crafting those dissolves.
1: Yes. Also, just one little thing where... um it had a, a song that sounded a lot like the song that we used for the Punch Drunk Love scene that we did a while ago. The little oh yeah, the, the little it was weird because I was like, whoa, this sounds almost exactly like the little John Bryan thing. Random moment. Lots of stuff to process that I'm literally still processing. I finished it like an hour ago. So
0: well, you only have 149 more times to go.
1: Starting, uh, I think I'll watch it once a day until uh, until I've caught up with Nichols. <laughs> So thanks for listening to another installment of our bite-sized monthly series in conversation with and sponsored by our friends at Gallery. We've loved hosting some of Gallery's live discussions of selected library films, including one we just did on Night of the Hunter last week, and meeting some of you in the process. So to join the conversation and view the rest of Duke Johnson's list, you can sign up at join.gallery.com BWDR.
0: Our theme music is composed by Chad Perman. This podcast is produced and edited. By our editor extraordinaire, Eli Sands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>